The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. So from your perspective, when is the most appropriate time uh, to begin listening to Christmas music? It's a big debate online. It's a big debate in our families. Uh, So let's do this by raise of hands. How many of you feel like, you know, at the appropriate time to begin listening to Christmas music, playing Christmas music, uh, to go to stores and expect to listen to Christmas music would be after Thanksgiving? That's where you stand. You say that's that's where we are. All right. So this probably might be the majority. How many of you are like, no, I actually believe after Halloween, you know, once you get through Halloween, then you can start listening to Christmas music. How many of those? I want to see your hands. All right. All right, very, very good. Is there anybody who's just like, you know what? There's never a bad time to listen to Christmas music all year long, 24-7. Raise your hand. All right, we got a few of you there. But it looks like among this group that after Thanksgiving is the general consensus. Uh, as we think about Christmas carols, one of the most famous of them all is called Joy to the World. How many of you are familiar with this Christmas carol, Joy to the World? It was written in 1719 by a gentleman by the name of Isaac Watts. Uh, Isaac was born in the year 1674. Uh, He was really quite a bright student. In fact, uh, by age four, he knew Latin. Uh, By the time he turned eight years old, not only did he know Latin, but he also knew Greek. So by the time he was eight years old, he could speak English, he could speak Latin, and he could speak Greek. By the age 11, he added French to his repertoire, and by age 13, he had five languages he could speak, and he added Hebrew to the mix at age 13. Um, Isaac was known as one of these nonconformists. You see, during the time in which he lived in England, the national church or the government church was known as the Anglican church. Uh, However, Isaac was not an Anglican. He did not subscribe to the orthodoxy of the Anglican church, and so he was known as a nonconformist. He didn't just go along with the religion of the day. He he really believed that the Bible should have the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. And so rather than allowing this religious sect to control, uh, you know, what he believed and what he did, he he really allowed the Bible to do that. And and so he became known as a a nonconformist. He pastored London's Mark Lane Church. Uh, in fact, probably one of the things he's most known for is the fact that he composed over 600 hymns, many of the hymns uh, that we even sing to this day. Um, even around here, we'll sing the song, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past. We just sang that a few weeks ago. Uh, it was Isaac Watts that wrote that song nearly 400 years ago. Uh, he also wrote this famous song, When I Survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. It was Isaac Watts that penned that poem and then eventually uh, put it to music. And then in 1719, as he was reading through the Psalms, in fact, he was at Psalm chapter number 98. He was reading verse, uh, chapters 96, 97, 98. And as he was reading through this passage of Scripture, his heart was so inspired that he, he wrote the song, Joy to the World. And, and many of the lyrics of that song is based on Psalm chapter number 98, as we're going to see here in just a moment. Uh, 
Isaac was somewhat of a sickly man. He, he was sick through most of his life, and, and eventually he died in 1748. And probably the song that he's most known for, uh, the song of his that became most famous, is this Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Um, I would suspect in a room like this that uh, every one of us is looking for more joy. Now, in the world in which we live, we will say, ah, we're just looking for, you know, more money. But at the heart of it, what we're really saying is we just want to be more happy. And we think it's that money that'll bring us that happiness, that'll bring us that joy. But at its very essence, at its very core, what we want is to experience deeper and more profound joy. Uh, Other people might say, no, I I just need this relationship to go that way. But really at the heart of what they're saying is, I just want to be happier. I just want to have more joy. And and we live in a world where people will put a thousand labels, but really at its essence, at its core, what people are most wanting is more happiness and more joy. And what we're going to see from Psalms 98 is this profound declaration that it is the, the coming Messiah, this Jesus, who truly does bring joy to the world. That it's Jesus that brings joy to the world. Uh, This week, we're kicking off a brand new Christmas series, uh, and the series is simply entitled Christmas Carols. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through the nativity passages found in the scriptures, uh, those passages that deal with the coming Messiah, that deal with uh, Jesus Christ, that deal with his really incarnation, God becoming a man. And there are several passages within the scriptures that are literally songs. They are written to be put to music. And so what we're going to do is we're going to study those passages. And they're found throughout the scriptures. And we're going to take those passages and we're going to do a Bible study on each one of these passages that are really originally meant to be songs, and we're going to teach through them and tie them to their modern Christmas carol that we sing even to this day. And so we're going to kick off that particular series uh, with a message simply entitled, Joy to the World. Uh, If you're a guest with us today, we feel so honored and privileged that you would Uh, decide to come and worship with us this morning on your way in you should have received a guest guide on the inside there's a connection card at some point in the service i'd like to encourage you to fill that out we love just have a record of your attendance and we'll take the opportunity to send you some information about upcoming events here uh, at our church and so that would be a huge uh, blessing if you would do that for the rest of you you should have received a service guide and on the inside there's a bible study that you can use to follow along through the message this morning. Uh, For those of you who are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text, Psalm chapter number 98. This is the text that inspired the song, Joy to the World. Uh, It's somewhat lengthy, so I want to encourage you to just kind of read along with us. I'm going to start in verse number one. We're going to read down through verse number nine. This entire chapter really is the inspiration behind this famous Christmas carol. So let me begin reading in Psalm chapter number 98. I'll begin reading in verse number one. Here's what the scriptures say. It says this, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. 
His right and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The the Lord has made His salvation known and revealed His righteousness to the nations. He has remembered His love and His faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp and with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. As we said a moment ago, we're going to begin this series by simply preaching on the subject, joy to the world. Let's pray and then we'll dive into our Bible study this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for being a God who desires for his people to have joy. Lord, for all of us, it's easy to get into situations and find ourselves in circumstances where we allow our joy to grow faint. And so I pray for my heart. I pray for the hearts of those here today. For those of us, Lord, who struggle to experience the fullness of your joy. Lord, I pray that you would allow your word to spark a a fresh experience of divine joy. If there's someone here today who finds themselves more focused on a circumstance or situation and Lord has seen their joy begin to wane, to to begin to lessen, Lord, I I pray that your spirit would spark a, a renewed joy in their heart and in their life. And Lord, not only would we be able to sing joy to the world, but Lord, we would be able to experience joy in our soul and joy in our hearts and joy in our own lives, Lord. And and then that joy, Lord, begin to overflow to the world around us. I pray that you'd bless our Bible study this morning as only you can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you noticed as we were reading through Psalms chapter number 98, there are three titles that are given to this coming Messiah. You've got to remember, the Psalms was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene. This was somewhat of a prophetic psalm. It was prophesying the Messiah that would one day come to this earth to become the Savior of all humanity. And there's three distinct titles that are given in this passage to this coming Messiah. And each one of these specific titles really gives us reason to rejoice. It gives us reason to have hope in our future joy. And so we're going to look at each and every one of those this morning. Let, let's just begin our Bible study in verse number one, all right? We read it a moment ago. Let's start to unpack it now. Notice what it says in verse number one. It says, sing unto the Lord. Uh, notice this next word, a new song. Sing unto the Lord a new song. 
Uh, there are some in the Christian world who believe that we shouldn't sing new songs, that uh, the songs that we sing should only be songs that are ancient, they should only be songs that are old, they should only be songs that existed from a long time ago, and yet all throughout the scripture you're going to see where we are reminded that to sing a new song, and, and the reason that as believers we are called to sing a new song is because the God of the universe is constantly doing new things. He's constantly providing new blessings. He's, he's constantly doing new miracles. He's constantly doing fresh new works. And so he calls us to make music and to sing songs that are new that reflect the fresh new things that he's doing in the world. And so that's exactly what we see here. Sing to the Lord a new song. Why? For he has done marvelous things. You say, when can we stop singing new songs? When God stops doing new things. But as long as He is doing something fresh in our midst, as long as He's doing something new in our midst, as long as He's doing something miraculous in our midst, we as His people should be able to sing new songs to reflect those realities. And so it says, sing unto the Lord a new song, for He hath done marvelous things. Notice this. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. As you're going to see in a moment, these nine verses are broken up into three sections. Verses 1 through 3, verses 4 through 6, and verses 7 through 9. Right now we're focused on verses 1 through 3, and in these three verses you're going to see a word pop up one time, and then two times, and three times. It becomes the theme of the first three verses of this passage, and the theme is salvation. Notice it. It says his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. You're going to see it again in the next verse. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Notice it again in verse 3. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. You see the theme? Salvation, verse 1. Salvation, verse 2. Salvation of God, verse 3. And this is really the first title that we, get, we see being given to this coming Messiah. It is the title God. In the original Hebrew, this is the word Elohim. The word Elohim simply means the divine one. So this Messiah who was to come, who we now know looking back, was none other than Jesus Christ. This Jesus was God. He was this Elohim. He was this divine one. And it is this divine one who is going to bring salvation to all humanity. In our Christmas carol, Joy to the World, the song starts out by saying this. It says, Joy to the world. Why? The Lord has come. You see, this Messiah, this divine one, this Elohim, this God, did not just stay in the heavenlies. A God wasn't content with just kind of being above us, looking down, letting us kind of live our lives in our own kind of little ways. You see, this Elohim, this divine one, this God, he felt compelled to come to where we were, knowing that we could never get to where he is. And that, my friend, is the difference between Christianity and every other religion. I don't care what religion we're talking about, but every other religion says you have to do something to get to God. 
You have to perform certain good works to get to God. You have to behave in a certain way. You have to go to a certain church. You have to do certain things. And if you do the right things, if you cross your T's and you dot your I's and you walk the walk and you talk the talk and you behave according to whatever religion uh, rituals are, are you're called to, if you'll do all these right things, then you can get to God. Christianity flips the script and says there's nothing that you can do to get to God. So God came to you doing what you could not do for yourself and and that's what we see in this passage and and it is in this process that God brought his salvation to mankind we don't earn our salvation he brings and offers it to us so that we can simply receive it by faith This leads us to our first thought in the Bible study this morning, and that is simply this. The first reason we can have joy and the first reason we have reason to rejoice is because the salvation of God has come to us. The salvation of God is made available to us. And this really is the bedrock. This is the foundation for our joy. The reason we can ultimately rejoice and the reason we can ultimately be happy and the reason we can ultimately have joy is because our lives are anchored to this reality that the salvation of God has come to us. There is nothing that we have to do in our own effort to try to earn the salvation of God. It has been granted to us by grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He has done the work for us. He has brought salvation to us. To us, the salvation of God has come. Um, Robert Coleman was an author, and many years ago he wrote a book called Written in Blood. In, in this particular book, he tells the story of a little boy whose sister was needing a blood transfusion. The doctor explained that she had a, a very rare disease, but it was also the same disease that this little boy had recovered from a couple of years earlier. The doctor began to explain to the family and specifically to this little boy that her only chance for recovery was a transfusion, a blood transfusion from someone who had previously been healed from the the same type of disease that she currently had. Since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy would be the ideal blood donor. So the doctor leaned over to the little boy and said to him, Would you be willing to give your blood to your sister, Sarah? The boy, Eric, hesitated for a moment, and in that moment, you could tell his lower lip began to quiver a little bit. You could tell he was in deep thought over whether or not this was something he was going to do, and finally, he just kind of got a little smile inside his face. He said, he said, sure. She said, I'll I'll do it for my sister. It wasn't long before the two children were Uh, wheeled into a a little hospital room. Sarah was pale, a little bit thin from being sick. Eric was robust and healthy, but but neither neither of them spoke. But when their eyes finally met, Eric kind of grinned a little bit. As the nurse inserted the needle into Eric's arm, his smile began to fade just, just a bit. He started to watch as the blood flowed out of his arm through that that transfusion and and made its way through the tube to his sister. As the ordeal was almost coming to a conclusion, 
his voice slightly shaken, started to break the silence, and he, he looked over to the doctor, and he, he said to the doctor, um, Doctor, uh, how long will it take now before I die? Only then did the doctor realize why Eric had hesitated at the thought of giving his blood for his sister and why his, his lip had trembled and he was struggling to, you know, agree whether or not he would donate this blood. It was because Eric thought by giving his blood to his sister that it meant giving up his very own life. Fortunately for Eric, he, he didn't have to die in order to save his sister with his blood. However, each and every one of us has a condition that's far more serious than anything Eric faced. And it required Jesus to give not just his blood, but his very own life so that we could live. And this is the essence of the gospel. The word gospel simply means the good news of the message of Jesus Christ. And and as believers, as Christians, this is the message that Christmas really is all about. You say, what is, you know, we get, we get all caught up in the trappings of Christmas with the Christmas trees and, you know, the Christmas decorations and Christmas presents and all these different things. And sometimes we can forget what is it that Christmas is supposed to symbolize. And really at the very heart of the message of Christmas is that God became man. He was born into this world and, and much like you and I will put on clothes in the morning when we get ready literally the divine God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all that there is, that God became man and in the form of a baby was born to human beings. That, that is the essence of Christmas. That, that's, what, that's what we're celebrating when we're celebrating the incarnation of God. But Jesus did not simply just come to be born so he could show us a better way to live. He, he literally lived a perfect, sinless life and then went to the cross, died to take the punishment and the sin that our, uh, the consequences that our sin deserves. And he literally took that upon himself, taking the consequences, the penalty in our place. And that, my friend, is the message of Christmas. And so the reason we can rejoice today is because the foundation, we don't have to stress and strive to wonder if my life is going to be okay. I want to say, because of what Jesus Christ has done, you can be saved. And for those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Christ, you can, you can feel safe and secure knowing that the salvation of God belongs to you. Psalm chapter number 13, verse 5 says this, I trust in your unfailing love. I trust in your unfailing love. He goes on to say in Psalms 13, he says, My heart rejoices in your salvation. My heart rejoices in your salvation. You see, my friend, the gospel is not just good news. And it is. But it really is the best news because it is the foundation for our joy. And one of the reasons that we can have joy is because we know that salvation is is ours. Let's keep reading verses number four through verses number six in our text. So we see, first of all, we can have joy because the salvation of God has come. We're going to see a second title given to this Messiah in verses four through six. It's a shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. 
burst into jubilant song with music, make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blasts of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord. Notice this phrase, the king, the king. Not only would this coming Messiah be Elohim, be God, but this coming Messiah, this one Jesus, would also be the king. And you see in these four verses, these three verses here, chapters, verses four through verses number six, you see this call to jubilant type singing. It says, shout for joy to the Lord, all ye earth, burst into jubilant song. And this is one of the reasons why every once in a while here we'll sing songs that are celebratory in nature. There is nothing wrong with singing songs that make your hands clap, that make your hands raise. That's what we're called to do. If our God is truly that big and if our God is truly that great, then God calls us to to really shout to that God, to sing praise to that God. And that's what's happening. Why? It's, it's the spirit of a coronation. When a king would be coronated and when he would be crowned king, there was also a lot of celebration in the kingdom when that would take place. And, and God calls his people to ex exhibit that same type of celebration to the fact that our God is king. He's ruler. He's in charge. If we were to sing the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, and we got through the entire first stanza, as you go into the second verse, it starts like this. It says this. It says, and some of you will know it, it says, He rules the world with truth and grace. How many of you are familiar with that part of the song? He, why does he rule? I'll tell you why. Because he's king. He's king. You see, this one who would come to be the Savior of all humanity, he, he didn't come to just be an advisor. He didn't come to simply be a consultant. He didn't come to simply be a counselor. He came to be king. And the reason he rules, the reason when we sing joy to the world, the reason when we sing he rules the world with truth and grace, the reason we sing that is because he is king, which leads us to our next thought in our Bible study this morning, and that is simply this. Not only do we see in our text that we can rejoice because the salvation of God has come, we can also rejoice because the king reigns supreme. He rules. He reigns supreme. In fact, Psalm chapter number 97, verse 1, it, it continues to talk about this when it says, the Lord reigns. What does that mean? It means he's in charge. It means he's in control. The Lord reigns. Notice this. Therefore, let the earth be glad. Let the earth be glad. Now, I realize to a lot of people, when we start talking about the fact that God is king, that he's in charge, that he reigns over the affairs of man, for, there's a lot of people, and that that thought process really causes people to kind of get a little cold. We don't like the idea of a God who's in charge. We don't like the idea of a God who rules. We don't like the idea of a God who is king. But here in this passage, we see the Lord reigns. Therefore, let the earth be glad. But to many people, that reality doesn't comfort their heart. 
when I was 11 years old, I, uh, I got a paper. I wanted to start making some more money. I wanted to buy some things on my own. And my parents told me, hey, if you want to go buy your own stuff, then you go get your own job. How many of you had parents like that? You know, they say, hey, if you want to buy it, you can have it. You go earn it. So at 11 years old, I, I started working for the Fresno Bee as a paper boy. I don't even know if they do this anymore, but back in those days, when you turned 11 years old, uh, you could deliver papers. You'd get a paper out, and you would deliver them. And every single day, you know, at 4.30 in the morning, you'd have to wake up, and they'd give you so many papers on the route I had. I think I had about 70, 75 papers, and every single morning, I'd be up at 4.30, uh, throwing papers, doing such things. I was kind of just the delivery boy. The way it kind of worked in those days is... Uh, at the end of the month, if you wanted to go get paid, you'd knock on everybody's door who you gave a paper to, and you said, hey, I've been delivering the paper for you for a month. You owe me $9, and that's kind of how it worked, you know? And so that's how you would get paid for this thing. I remember on one particular occasion, I was doing that. It was the end of the month. I had been delivering papers. I was making my rounds, trying to get the, the money off the folks, and I, I knocked on the door, and this one lady, she opened the door, and she was absolutely irate. She was so upset. She was so mad, and I was just kind of, you know, you're just 11, 12, 13 years old at the time. I'm like, confused that's what's going on and she's yelling at me and I'm trying to figure out why is she so upset why is she so mad and apparently as I was listening to her just kind of be irate and screaming she was very upset because of something that the Fresno Bee had printed in their newspaper she said it was all lies and she was so mad about the fact that the Fresno Bee would print lies and how deceitful they were and she's yelling at me I'm just literally I'm not even a teenager yet and she's like taking all the wrath that she feels for the publisher and editors of the Fresno Bee and she's just unloading her wrath right upon me and I'm just like I, I don't know what's going on I'm like lady I am not the publisher I'm not the editor I don't write this stuff I, I just throw the paper on your porch that's my part <laughs> She was so upset because of the fact that, you know, somebody had written something that she didn't completely understand, and I tried to communicate it to her. I'm just delivering this news. And I want to say to you today, sometimes when we work through the scriptures and we teach this thing line upon line, sometimes there's going to come to these points and we think, I don't like what that has to say. And every one of us, if, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, every one of you have come to a point where you read something in this book that you did not like, and if you say, well, that's not me, you're lying. <laughs> and I'll call you out for it. Not one person who just rejoices in every single thing they read in that book. But I want to say to you, as we go through these things, the reality is it's not, as I come here today, I'm not writing this. I'm not publishing it. I'm simply delivering it. And here's what I'm delivering today. And that is simply this, that, that Jesus Christ is king and he does reign supreme. He's in charge. Whether you like it or not, he's in control. And I know at first glance for some of us and for some people in the world, that's a little disheartening. I don't like to think of a God who's in charge of me. I don't like the thought of God being able to control my life. That, I don't, that doesn't sit well with me. And I, I want to say to you today, the reality is this, is the individual who surrenders to the reign and really the, the power of God in their life. You know, God takes full control. He accepts full control. He accepts full ramifications of whatever that means for that individual. When we come to a place in our life where we say, you know what, Jesus, you are king, and I surrender. It's in that moment that he also accepts responsibility for the outcome of your life. 
And that is why we can rejoice. Because as we surrender, we no longer have to live in a state of controlling everything. That state of stress and that state of striving. Why? Because we understand that at the end of the day, He reigns. He's in control. And I might not understand it, I might not get it, but I surrender to His sovereignty knowing that he is taking full responsibility for the outcome of my life. And there's encouragement in that. One theologian said it this way, to worship is to let God be God and let yourself be okay with that. So we see in this passage, the salvation, how, why is it that we can rejoice? Because the salvation of God has come. We know that we have hope of eternal life because God brought salvation to us even when we couldn't get to him. Number two, because our God reigns supreme and he's willing to take responsibility for the outcome of our life when we surrender completely to him. But let's keep reading verses seven through nine. Notice what it says. The Bible says here, let the sea resound in everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clasp their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world. Notice this, in righteousness and the people with equity. It's in these verses that we see here the third title given to this coming Messiah, and that is this title, Lord. We've seen it before, but now we're going to see it again. He is the Lord, and this Lord is going to come, and He will judge, but notice how He judges. He judges righteously, and He judges with equity. We, we could say it this way. The Lord, when He comes to do His work in this world, He's going to do it fairly, and He's going to be good. That's what that means. With equity, with fairness, with goodness, which leads us to our final thought this morning, and that is this. How is it that we can have joy? Why is it that we can rejoice? We can rejoice because the salvation of God has come. We can rejoice because our King reigns supreme. And lastly, we can rejoice and we can have joy because the Lord is good. He's good. And even in moments of circumstance and situation where it doesn't feel good. How many of you have ever been there before? Have you ever been in a situation that didn't feel good? Even when you've been in those moments where it doesn't feel good, I want to say to you today that our God works all things together for good. It doesn't say everything is good. Not everything you've experienced in your life is good. Not everything you're going through is good. Not everything you've been through is good. But I want to declare to you today that you serve a God who is good and works everything together for good. And regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance, we serve a God who is good. Uh, last Sunday, some of us had the opportunity of going down to Roding Park, and I'm so thankful uh, for Cindy and many of you who minister to the homeless and less fortunate while we're down there. And I had the opportunity of joining many of you last Sunday. And I don't know how many, maybe a hundred or so folks that got fed a Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, I was so encouraged to see some people come to place their faith in Jesus Christ after Ted just kind of preached the gospel. And that was an encouragement to my heart to hear. And I was kind of walking around talking to some different individuals while I was there, some different guys. And I, I walked up to this one guy and you could just tell like, 
like many of the people there, he had been through some tough things in his life. You could literally just see it on his countenance. You could see it on his face. And as we were talking, I kind of say what sometimes I'll often say, and I would say, hey, you know, how, how are you doing? How's everything going? And I remember this guy, and all he said is this. He just simply said to me last week, he said, I got warm clothes and a hot meal. God is good. That was it. <laughs> I got some warm clothes, hot meal. God is good. And I was reminded of that verse where the Bible says, and with food and with clothes, be content. I don't know that this guy had a house. I don't know that this guy had a place to live. I don't know that this guy had any friends or any loved ones that he was going to spend Thanksgiving with. I do not know, but from his own testimony, <laughs> he had warm clothes and a hot meal, and he knew God was good. Can I say to you today, based on what Psalms 100 verse 5 says, it says, for the Lord is good. Now, I realize that when you're going through certain circumstances and situations, I've been there before. We've all been through seasons of difficulties, and we're just like, I don't know that God is good. Now, it's very important for you to dissect the difference between circumstances being good and God being good. Do you realize that God loves you enough to let you go through things that don't feel good so you can experience ultimate good? Do you realize that? That your God is wise enough and smart enough to let you go through hard things to take you to a place in your life to experience the best things? Are you tracking? How many of you understand in your kid's life, sometimes they got to go through difficult things in order to experience the best things? Sometimes the best places that we want to experience in life, we experience that we get there through the road of adversity, through a road of difficulty. And it is God's sovereign grace and love that allows us to go through those difficult paths to get us to his beautiful destinations. And so while not everything we go through and every circumstances we're in is always good, and I'm not going to say everything you've been through is good, because there's a lot of you who have been through some circumstances and situations that are downright, downright bad. But I want to remind you today that even in the midst of that, you have a God that is still good. And he is working all things together for good. Psalm 100 verse 5, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. I kind of penned this out this week and as I was thinking yesterday a little bit about this, I, I, I wrote this out and I want you to see this for yourself. See this. I, I really do. I, I, I do believe in God, but I don't believe in God because my parents told me to. I believe in God not because a pastor told me to, and not even because a church told me to. You know why I believe in God? Because I've experienced His goodness and His grace personally. That's why I believe. I love my parents. That's not why I believe. And I love some of the pastors I've had in my life, but that's not why I believe. And I've been a part of some great churches, but that is not why I believe. And so when a pastor or a church or a loved one lets me down, my faith is not shaken. Why? Because it is not upon those things that my faith was built. I believe in God because I've experienced his goodness and his grace personally. So why can we have joy this morning? 
We can have joy because our salvation, the salvation of God has come. Because regardless of whatever happens in this life, we know that we can spend eternity with Christ for, forever and ever in heaven. We have the hope of eternal life, and that is the foundation of our joy. We can have joy today because we know regardless of what happens, regardless of the circumstances, and regardless of the difficulties, we believe that our God is in ultimate control, and he is working all things together for our ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. And the reason we can have joy is because God, he is good. And like we sang a moment ago, even, even when we don't feel it, he's working. And even when we don't see it, He's working. Why? Because we serve a God who is good. And so because these three things will always be true, when Isaac Watts was reading through this, because of these realities, because the salvation of God belongs to us, because our king will always reign and will always be in control, because the Lord will always be good, he was able to write the words, joy, Joy to the world. Why? Because these, th these things are true. And not only can there be joy in the world, but there can also be joy in our hearts and joy in our lives. Why? Because these realities are true. And because these three things will always be true. Here's the takeaway. We're done. We'll wrap this up. Because these th three things are true, we'll never have a reason to not have joy. Now, I'm not saying we're always going to experience joy, but we'll never have a reason not to experience it. As long as these things are true, and they always will be, then we always have reason to have joy, regardless of what's happening in our circumstances, regardless of what's happening in the situations of life, regardless of what's happening financially or with our health or in our relationship. The reality is we always have the things we need to experience joy in our hearts that can overflow to joy in the world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.